Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. It's great to be back behind the microphone once again to talk all things judo. On this episode of the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, I'm going to have a special uh, excuse me, special guest, Ajax Tadehara of Team USA. I'm looking forward to that conversation, but first things first, I must get to this. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I've got breaking news. The International Judo Federation World Judo Tour is back. So the announcement was officially made on August 28th. And I saw I first saw the news on my Twitter feed because as I've said many times before, there's certain accounts that I make sure that I have a an alert turned on in case anything judo related. Um, uh, comes through the wire. Uh, you know, some of those some of those accounts include JudoInside.com, uh, certainly the IJF, uh, certainly USA Judo, and and a few others. And um, so I got an alert. Uh, uh, well, as of this recording, that would be yesterday. And I saw the news article. I opened it up. I'm going to read it and, and share this with all of you. It starts off, It is with great satisfaction the International Judo Federation announces the imminent return of the World Judo Tour. Starting in the autumn, we will introduce or reintroduce three of our highest level events in a big way, launching with the Budapest Grand Slam. The Budapest Grand Slam will take place in late October and will be followed by the Tokyo Grand Slam in December. The World Judo Masters will be held at the beginning of 2021 in Doha, Qatar. All three events aim to offer qualification points for the Tokyo 2021 Olympic Games. The Continental Unions are also planning the organization of several continental events before the end of the year. The health of our judo family is of utmost importance and we will ensure that the local and global health situations will be taken into careful consideration in the planning of each event, with more details to be given in the coming weeks. The International Judo Federation already published its protocol for restarting uh, competitions and this will represent the compulsory conditions when organizing events in a new pandemic uh, circumstances. At this time, we will closely monitor the world situation and reserve the right to, to amend the schedule and qualification status, keeping the best interests of the athletes as the first priority. The IJF president, Mr. Marius Wieser, declared, The time has come to announce how we will, step by step, restart our activities. We know that the situation is different around the world, but here are the territories that are ready to organize events. Hungary is ready to uh, host a Grand Slam at the end of October with all the necessary health measures and protection in place. All countries will be welcome and able to participate. We are building a dedicated team that will be in charge of these forthcoming events and we will ensure the safety of all of our participants. The same conditions will will also be applied in Japan and for the Tokyo uh, or in Japan for the Tokyo Grand Slam. After so many months of hardship and confinement, the world finally opens its doors to a new future and sport is one of those beautiful ways to kickstart this new period. Professional athletes need to compete, face new challenges, crystallize months of training and prepare in the best way possible for the supreme challenge, the Tokyo Olympic Games. Judo is one of the most popular sports not only in the host country of Japan, but at the games in general and the fact that the great Olympic event takes place in the cradle of our sport makes Tokyo 2021 a truly special goal for all judoka. This year, we have experienced some kind of challenge and we have grown stronger together. 
Now the time has come to be uh, born again, to prepare the tatami, to put on the judogi, bow and compete. So get ready because judo is back and the competition time is almost here. The countdown begins. Now, I think this is fantastic news. I really didn't see this happening this year. And I've been on record for the past several months stating that I simply did not believe Tokyo 2021 was going to happen. But something like this really paves the way for the possibility of the Olympic Games happening in some capacity. I don't know how Japan is going to uh, handle so many people from so many different countries coming to uh, their country and potentially bringing uh, uh, COVID-19 along with them. Now, I just read on a friend's profile, on his Facebook profile, that he had to cancel uh, tickets once again to fly to Japan because he had, I guess he had planned to go in October. But Japan is not allowing anybody from the United States come into their country. At least that's my understanding based on the Facebook um, uh, status update that I saw. And, and, you know, here's the thing. I don't know how... You, uh, Hungary and and, and Japan and, and even Qatar are going to to handle athletes coming from high risk uh, situations. And really, at this point, the way that it feels, anyway, uh, whether or not it's all you know media sensationalism or whether or not it's it's facts. Uh, the United States is not in great shape uh, in terms of the virus. I, I don't see any evidence of this thing slowing down. It certainly looks like the decision that I made uh, to not continue training in any dojo for 2020 was the right one. And honestly, given some of the travel restrictions other countries have for people from the United States visiting their country, I don't know how the IJF can make the claim that um, that all countries will be welcome because... The United States is not in a great, great situation. Now, I don't know what the situations are like in other uh, countries where COVID has hit uh, pretty hard. I, I don't know how how the UK is handling COVID. I'm really not too sure how Canada is handling handling it. I know they've got far less people than the United States. Australia, as I understand it, has still has pretty strict measures. Um, and, and if I, if, based on some uh, posts that I've seen on, on the judo subreddit, it seems like the UK and, and certainly Australia, they, they're still pretty locked down for the most part. They, there may be some, some clubs here and there trying to run an offshoot of, or, or some semblance of a judo program, but certainly not in the way that it was, uh, at this time last year. And, and that's certainly the case in the United States. I know, I know there's a lot of jiu-jitsu clubs out there that are running classes. I know of some judo clubs that are running classes. Um, they, they're all in limited capacities. And, you know, I, as I've mentioned so many times over the past several months, you know, I, I've, I've made the decision to to listen to the opinions of medical experts and, and, and take as many precautions as possible. I know other people have decided to to go training on their own and, and that's their own prerogative and I don't I don't hold any any negative opinions against uh, people who choose to train during the pandemic but for me I I'm not willing to to train judo with a mask on and and just kind of round robin at, at any club and just grab whoever that I've decided to to grab or whoever shows up I 
I uh, I have a mat space at home. Speaking of which, I'm going to get into this in a little bit, but I, I've got a mat space at home that I'm, I I invite a few people over. Certainly, Judo Joe, I, I think you all are aware of that. If you guys follow my, you know, my Instagram at all, it, um, you know, I, I do have people that come over uh, from time to time. Uh, but that's really the only amount of judo that I'm going to be able to do. Now, speaking of uh, doing judo at home, uh, for for those of you that follow me on Instagram, and my Instagram handle is at uh, La Vida Judoka, I have built myself a small ten by ten, ten feet by ten feet. What's that in in meters? Um, probably what three meters by three meters, give or take. Uh, a, a, a couple of meters or so. I, I'm not sure, but I, I built myself a a judo subfloor um, so that I could practice at home because I've I I had these puzzle mats and I they're not throwing puzzle mats on concrete. I, I just can't take that anymore. It's it's too much impact to my body. It, it really offers very little protection in in the ways of. Uh, you know, being able to take falls repeatedly. If getting thrown on those puzzle mats on top of concrete feels like pretty much that I'm being thrown right on top of concrete. It it doesn't feel much different. Other than I don't get as bruised as I would, um, you know, getting thrown directly on the concrete. But I decided to build a judo subfloor, um, and I used pool noodles as the... um, as as the foam uh, the the foam supports that that allow me uh, that that will absorb any throws that are that I that I take on there. So I built a ten by ten area. Um, I I cut up probably about two hundred different pool noodles to cut up uh, to cover that ten by ten area, and I added a second layer of plywood. I I, I added the pool noodles to plywood, and I added a second layer of plywood. Um, on top of that first layer, and that's what I put the mats on, and I, I created a little border, and I, I built this thing so I could, so I could, uh, it could easily be assembled and disassembled, and it's worked quite well. Uh, now I got to admit, the subfloor with my puzzle mats, it was still a hard fall when I when I had uh, Joe come over. He, I probably got thrown about thirty or forty times or so, and I, I tell after probably the fortieth time, I was pretty much done getting thrown because it it was still a very stiff fall. Um, but then I saw these these mats on sale on on BJJ HQ, which which they have a you know deal of the day or whatever. They were selling Fuji mats for two hundred dollars each, so I decided they, they were those roll up mats. So I decided to get those uh, two of those mats to create a ten by ten area, and that's a lot better. I had my son throw me a, a few times on uh, on those mats on top of my subfloor, and and it was a tremendous difference. I I'm still gonna play around with the amount of foam that I have on the subfloor because I I would like it to have just a little bit more give than it does. But I, I, puzzle mats are trash. I, I you know, I, I've heard people say that they would never ever train on puzzle mats unless they, they're getting paid to do so. As a matter of fact, I think my guest uh, Ajax have actually said that to me that he would never he would never train on a mat unless he was at a clinic and somebody was uh, those kind of mats unless he was at a clinic and somebody was paying him to do that. And, and I'm with them on there. I mean, the, the puzzle mats are fine for 
for doing Nawaza or if you're doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but but certainly for for wrestling or certainly for the high amplitude throws for judo, it's it's not a good mat at all. I, 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 I there's it's it's not good. Even with a sub floor, they, they were really terrible. I mean, I suppose if I had a sprung floor with actual springs, maybe the puzzle mats would be okay, but. But it was well worth the money for me to spend on the uh, on on the Fuji rollout home mats. It's 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 just different. The quality is just uh, far and away superior. So I'm looking to have some training partners come over and uh, and just practice some judo. It, it, ten by ten area is not really good enough for Rondori. Uh, I could do Nawaza Rondori in that area, but but even then, you know, a lot of times we're running off of the edge of the mat and then we have to reset in the middle. And then work from there, which is fine. I mean, it's the ten by ten area is more ideal for drilling, and and just for static uh, nage komi, and that's good enough for me. That's that's really in order for me to maintain, and and not lose too much skill. Um, in in judo, uh, that's good enough for me. Uh, until this pandemic thing clears, which I hope is sooner than later. <laughs> um. That's really that's really how I'm going to be practicing moving forward, and I I wish I could go back to the club, but I, I don't know. I'm not going to do the round robin thing and 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 risk getting sick. It's it that risk for judo is not worth it to me. I mean, ultimately for what? I mean, for me, you know, I was talking to Steve Scott, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and I was mentioning this to him that like. You know, I had a personal goal of, of earning a, a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and a, my Sandan by the time I was 50. Um, and now I'm not sure I'm not sure if that's possible. Certainly not the Sandan. I, I feel like I needed three or four years to, to truly earn that Sandan. And I think the hours lost, it, that's just not going to be a possible goal. But you know, at the end of the day, big deal. So what if I earn my Sandan at 51? You know what I mean? It's like, great. So so everything got pushed back a year. You know, nothing really ultimately changes because I do this for fun. It's a hobby of mine. It's nothing, nothing more serious than that. And it, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be on Team USA. I'm not competing for national championships. It's it's so so for me, the the risk of catching COVID, um, it's not worth it. And, but for other people, it might be worth it because they have more on the line. They're they're trying to, you know, earn certifications. They're they're trying to make Team USA. They 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 want to make it to the Olympics. So there's a there's a lot more involved for a whole heck of a lot of people. But for you know recreational hobbyists like myself, and I have no shame saying that that's what I am, and you know that's what I do. There's no shame in that. And uh, I'm just gonna wait until things clear up in some way, whether that's. Uh, <laughs> The, the day after the election, as some would like to think, or, 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 you know, whenever there's a vaccine that comes out, or however that's determined. It's just the real unfortunate thing, and I promise I'm not going to talk much more about COVID. The real unfortunate thing here is that things are not different in the United States today uh, in regards to this pandemic than they were back in February and March. There's, there's no difference, and I think it's a real testament to how other countries have handled this situation where, you know, Japan of all places, they are looking to host a Grand Slam. Now, I don't know if they're going to have people in the arena. I probably not. But I think the fact that they would open themselves up to 
having so many people from so many different countries come to an event uh, in Tokyo, I, I think it says a lot to where they are at currently in this pandemic compared to like New York City or, or Los Angeles because Tokyo has way more people. You know, and, and same goes for, for Budapest and, and, and Doha. I mean, th- these aren't like small remote cities. These, these cities have, have over a million people uh, living in, in the city limits. And then you have all the suburbs and, and, and the outer towns and stuff. So the regions itself are quite populous, probably, you know, even larger than where I live in Tampa Bay. So all in all, I'm really excited that, that the IJF is back. I really can't wait to watch the events and, and to see, you know, who managed to, I won't go as far as saying who managed to stay in shape and who didn't. I know all of the the elite athletes on the tour are staying in shape and they're training and such. But it'll be interesting to see if there are athletes out there that can that, that really took advantage of the break and and healed themselves up. Like I like I think of Teddy Renair, for example. I I mean I know he wasn't competing much over the past year, but but my goodness, you know, a, a break without the 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 um the implied rush of trying to get back on the tatami as quickly as possible. I'm I'm sure there was a lot of pressure from, you know, from the French Judo Federation and, and from his fans and 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 certainly from other people in his life. You know, prior to the pandemic, there was probably a lot of there were there were quite a number of events where he said he was going to show up and he didn't show up and. And, and you know the event where he finally lost, uh, he he didn't look very good in Paris. Um, you know maybe this forced extra time off has has allowed him to to heal up in a way that he would not have been able to under ordinary circumstances. And and I tell you what, I saw his his Instagram not too long ago. You know Teddy looks to be in great shape. I mean. I mean, he's always been a big dude, but my goodness, he he looks very, very good. And I I remember, you know, when he came back to the um the, the Montreal Grand Prix, you know, a, a year or so ago. And I'm going to talk to Ajax about that because he actually fought Teddy. Uh, I thought Teddy looked just just slow and sluggish, and and really, he just looked like I don't know. He he looked about thirty or forty pounds heavier than where he should be, but but. The, the latest pictures that I saw, he just, he looked like a beast. I mean, he's always a beast, but man, right now he looks fantastic. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how, how he has fared with this break and certainly so many others. I mean, so many names to go through on both the men's and women's side. Um, it, it, it's just a unique break for, for the sport and it's not just judo. It's, it's, I'm seeing this when I watch um, NBA basketball and I know the National Football League is about to start up in the next two weeks. It's going to be really interesting to see which teams prepared well and which ones didn't. And, and, and along those same lines, I'm looking forward to see which athletes managed to really take advantage of this kind of force break here. All right, so I think it's about time for me to bring in my guest on this episode, Ajax Tadehara. Now, before I bring him on, I just want to let everybody know that I'm going to be breaking up this interview into... Probably, probably at least two or three segments. There's, there's a lot of stuff that I want to cover. I want to cover, you know, some of the biographies type stuff and, and some of the information on how he, how he, you know, rose through the, through the national ranks for, for United States and then made it all the way up to competing on the world tour. I, I also want to get his take on 
you know, what's it like to compete on the world tour? What's what's the back like? You know, things that go go on for an athlete at that level. And I want to definitely cover uh, certainly at some point in the interview his match with uh, Teddy Renair because he is the only person on Team USA that has ever fought Teddy Renair. So without any further delay, I present to all of you Mr. Ajax Tadahara. Ajax, welcome to the Judo Chop Suey podcast. How you doing today? I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. Um, as you know, my father's kind of he fell ill real unexpectedly and he's in the hospital, but today was a really good day for his recovery. So uh, we're pretty happy about that and uh, see what's happening with the rest of us. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate that. I'm really happy to hear that your father's doing doing okay after surgery. And not, not only just me, but I'm sure a lot of the listeners, some some people that you know, some people that you probably trained and competed with um, would, would be happy to hear that as well. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on the show. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. I, you know, you have a very interesting name, and I, I, I don't mean that in a negative way. It, I've never heard the name Ajax, and your last name sounds Japanese. I, I don't know if it is. Is is there a story behind that at all? Yeah. Um... There, there's a, a, what I consider a pretty funny story on my first name. I will say quickly, my last name is Japanese heritage. It is, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm a, my, I'm a quarter Japanese. My dad's half. His dad was full. Um, the whole family, the whole Tadahara na- nomenclature, kind of the whole clan moved over to the Murray, Utah area, kind of south, southern suburb um, of Salt Lake City area in the uh, kind of early 1920s, mid-1920s. And um, they, they were all like big, big farmers at the time. They had a lot of land out here in Murray. And each generation, you know, has got progressively more um, Caucasian. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so I did get my, my roots in judo, just um, being Japanese. My dad did judo in Salt Lake City. Um, there was a big Japanese-American population in in Idaho and in Utah because uh, farming farming culture was good business for Japanese families, um, but of course, like I said, each generation gets progressively um, more into the melting pot of Caucasian uh, heritage, and so my father, you know, they actually held the one of the world championships back. Oh, Ajax, I lost you. Did you put yourself on mute? Sorry about that. No, not not a problem. No, I I appreciate you coming back. I I thought maybe I scared you off for a second. (laughs) No, I'm not that not that feeble yet. (laughs) All right, sounds good. So, where we dropped off, uh, you were talking about the World Championships being held somewhere, and that's where you cut off. So the the IJF actually held the World Championships in Salt Lake City. I don't remember exactly when, maybe like 67 or 72 or something back in the day. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so my dad uh, had some local judo, a lot of, like I said, a lot of Japanese Americans around here and, and that really inspired him. So he, he was really into judo when he moved up to Idaho. Um, he started running the Idaho state university judo club and he had a local judo club that I, so I just kind of grew up doing judo um, being, you know, Japanese heritage and stuff. And then my first name 
is Greek, but I have no Greek heritage that I'm aware of. Huh. So the story with that, my father, you know, was told by his Japanese grandma that like, and this is not, you know, my opinion or belief, but uh, so don't take offense. Yeah. But, you know, the, the old thing he was told was, you know, you can give, you can give your kid a normal name and they'll grow up and have a normal life. Or you can give your child a great name and they'll grow up and have a great life. <laughs> so he's kind of a man of obscurities and he always liked this character from the Iliad and the Odyssey. Yeah. And there were two, two different generals on the Greek side of the Greek Trojan War. That was Ajax Major and Ajax Minor. And so I was named after Ajax Major um, in a coin toss against the Japanese name that he had chosen. Um, and I'm really thankful. I didn't like the Japanese name. So I was really happy that Ajax won, that's won the awesome. coin toss. Yeah. I love that story. That, that's, that's really cool. So, so you grew up in Idaho. Do I got that right? And yep, southeastern Idaho. South. Well, I've never been to Idaho. I, is it is it true that all potatoes are from Idaho? Or is that just kind of a, a just a made up all the story? All the best potatoes are from Idaho. I'll put it they that are. way. Okay. All <laughs> the, right. Gotcha. The big ones, the big, big, huge potatoes, um, come from Idaho. The little red skin potatoes, those are those are somewhere else, different breed, you know, different variety. Gotcha. Gotcha. But the but the real earthy potatoes. Yeah. That's Idaho. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I've I've never been there. One one day I'll make it up there. Um, I've never been to that part of the country. I've been most everywhere else though. So over in Idaho, you started judo at what age? I mean, do I? I literally don't remember not doing judo. Wow. I, okay. You know, yeah, I was one of those like they had a little baby sized gi when I was like one years old before I could actually do judo. We got pictures of you know in the living room when I'm like two or three, you know, and they're doing Tomoe Nage to me and airplane rides, you know, and sure. Kind of throwing me somersaults. So like, it's always just kind of been there, but I didn't get serious about judo until I was like 15 or 16. I didn't really, I actually hated judo. I liked soccer a lot more. <laughs> really? That, that That's yeah. interesting. So was, was your father, your, your sensei or, or did you go to a different club? Kind of. I mean, so he was the head head teacher in the whole town for both, the local club that, that he started and ran as well as the university club. Um, but he, he tried not to like burn me out. He was real aware of, of athlete burnout and the relationship of parents being coaches. So he kind of always had other black belts teach me and, and run the kids class so that he didn't, you know, get too involved and have me be too negative about it. That, that, that's fascinating because, you know, uh, neither of my sons really did judo, much judo at all. But had, had I really forced them or pushed them into that, the, the only way that I would have been able to do it as a parent to them is to do exactly that. Somebody else would have to teach them. It, mm -hmm. And it's not because I wouldn't want to spend time. But I think I would, my expectations would have probably been too high. Um, and I, I might've been too tough just to, you know, because I was trying to push, I didn't want to push yeah. my passions on them. You know what I mean? So yeah, had yeah. I, had I made them go to judo, it would have, I would have only done it if somebody else was instructing them. That's, that's the only way it would have worked for me. That's interesting that your father kind of, kind of went that same route as well. Yeah. So, it, yeah. Go, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say, yeah, it was really good. He, I mean, 
I've witnessed the other end of that equation before, you know, with kids growing up and wrestling and soccer and it's quick to go toxic. It's a real delicate balance. So, yeah, absolutely. So you said you started getting serious about judo when you were about uh, 15 or 16. So I kind of wanted to talk about that, that aspect of, you know, how a, a, a young teenage athlete may transition into, you know, really climbing up those ranks, what, what kind of support system involved and, and maybe you maybe talk about is for the benefit of people that, that may be listening to this, that have uh, children of their own, that are young, that, that they really want their kids to go this route. I, I really don't know what the, what the start to finish and that one must do in order to become, you know, a, a representative of team USA. So, what was it about a right around 15 or 16 that changed for you? And, and, and how did, were you supported in taking your judo to the next level? Sure. Um, to give a, a brief history of the timeline, because the circumstances have, have changed so drastically from that time to now, as far as Olympic qualification and stuff. Of course. Yeah. I remember right, back then you could just win nationals and you would be going yep. to the Olympics. Correct. Yeah, so it was really a, a totally different um, kind of ordeal to take on. So it was, it was weird coming up in that transition period, too, because depending on your support system, you handled the transition well or you totally flopped. And it was interesting to watch all the different players of the time kind of shake out. So, yeah, I, I, my first high school nationals, it was my first, like, national ranking points tournament, freshman year of high school. Um, I think that was 2004, mm-hmm. spring of 2004, down in Florida. And um, basically what had happened is in seventh grade, my, my dad had made some relationships in Japan. He goes every year. He always does judo. And, um, and he, he kind of got, got on the end with some big names in a way. And so we had a teacher who had graduated from Tokai University come out to Idaho State University and take English classes and teach judo in English for two years. That was my seventh and eighth grade year, or my eighth and ninth grade years of, of school. So his name was Ken Agamizu, Kenichiro Agamizu. And they like to do this program because it gives you a different language barrier, right? So it adds to your resume, sure. gives you a new world experience. And, um, and then after that, he went back to Japan he became the head coach for the men's competitive team at Tokai University. Oh, wow. And he was okay. the head coach there when they broke the record for winning six All Japan championships in a row. So kind of really obscure. We just had this, this big dog come out to Idaho and, and hang out with us for a couple of years. Yeah, that's, that's, that's um, fascinating. I, I, I never yeah. heard that story second or third hand or anything. I, I had no idea. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a kid at the time. So, you know, what it does and doesn't mean to me is all kind of different. You know, I'm, I'm just kind of listening to my dad be like, oh, this guy's the boss, you know, like, sure. he, this is the real deal. He's a Toka. He won like some World Cups in uh, Europe and stuff. And I was like, I don't know what any of that even means, but he sounds like a beast. Sure. And he's, you know, he's fucking me up in practice. So sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I was really into soccer at the time. 
I was a troublemaker as a kid. I got in some trouble. I was kicked off the soccer team. I was actually kicked out of high school my sophomore year as a whole. Um, I, I took a couple online classes, but I didn't get to actually go to school that whole year. And that kind of transition, long story short, soccer wasn't really a viable option anymore. And I was just kind of doing judo. I didn't like it, but I was, you know, he had, Ken had, had prompted me to like, dude, you should try high school national. So I went freshman year. I got just, I first exchanged three second foot sweep by a senior named Josh White, right? Coming out of Georgia, right. 81 kilos. I was a six foot 81 kilo kid, which is kind of skinny. He was like a six foot one, six two. So he was even taller and skinnier. Yeah, yeah. He just completely dominated and just murdered me. He won gold that year. You know, so just kind of being in that atmosphere, I was like, you know what? Like, it would be cool to beat these guys. You know, I was like, I, I could work on this and at least get better. Um, so the program kind of lasted after Ken started to transition out. There was another Tokai graduate that was like, yeah, I want to do this too. So he kind of came and uh, he studied English for one year. And then he actually did his master's degree in physical education for like a two and a half years kind of took him. So he was around for three years during high school. We had the number two heavyweight from Tokai university, but the, she was the number two heavyweight in all Japan for female plus 78. Right. And her name was, was Kei Eguchi. And she, uh, she was behind Maki Tsukata who was uh, Olympic champion in 2004. Right. So she was the number two behind her Tokai teammate. She came out for a couple of years. She actually married a local guy, so Kay actually lives in Pocatello still and occasionally shows up to practice. We just had this whole slew of, um, like I said, kind of old school Tokai beasts come out and teach judo. And uh, it was a really good program to kind of come up at the time. And it, it inspired me because, you know, I'm in a dojo with no other nationally ranked players, no Team USA guys. And I, I just kind of got my dad being like, hey, these guys think you could win. They, they think you can – they're watching the current 81 and 90 kilo – team usa fighters and they think you could probably grow up and beat them and you could probably go to the olympics you know he's kind of like you know subtly pushing me to consider the idea um yeah that's really fascinating i mean to to have like like if i were to hear people from tokai or in the united states you know learning learning english and teaching judo i would have i would have automatically assumed oh they must be in southern california clearly right but yeah, that's really yeah. that's really that's fantastic that you had that kind of experience uh way out in idaho and for those people who may not you know from other countries that listen to this um Idaho is is one of the more rural states uh, in the United States, so I, I just, just for the I'm just letting them know, Ajax, just for the benefit. Oh of yeah, understanding no, sure. that it's it's definitely. I, I would be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me if where I live in Tampa Bay ha, has more people than the than the entire state of Idaho. So it's, I, you know, I don't know, but I believe it does. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 So. Yeah. So that, was, that's it, fascinating. Yeah, it was really obscure. Yeah, it was really kind of obscure, especially looking back in it now and. Like you said, man, if, if you told me New York, Florida, California, even Seattle area, I'm like, sure, I believe right. that. But yeah, like I said, Idaho, and I'm not even in the biggest city of Idaho. You know what I mean? I'm not in the capital or nothing. We're in the, we're in like a mediocre town of Idaho and it, you know, there's just nothing really around Yellowstone National Park's four hours away. That's about what we got. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So, so, you know, junior year of, of high school, I took fifth place at high school nationals, starting to see some results. 
And in between junior and senior year, I actually took like my first decent medal as a junior. I took silver. Um, I'd moved up to 90 kilos and I took silver at the junior Olympics. Um, I lost to Jake Larson. He was, you know, he was a, a longtime team USA guy. He was junior world, senior world team member, Pan Am medalist. So I grew up fighting Jake Larson. And, uh, so I was pretty, I was pretty into it. Um, coming my senior year, I decided I was going to cross train wrestling, joined the high school wrestling team. I'd never wrestled before, had never done BJJ. Um, I made varsity team. I made it to state and made it to the quarterfinals, but then I kind of got dominated by, you know, wrestling because I didn't really understand the rules and our, the team I joined wasn't, my high school team wasn't particularly strong. So the coaching wasn't immaculate. So I, sure. I did okay wrestling. I loved wrestling. I did end up wrestling for my club team at Idaho State University oh, nice. um, for, for four years. And that really helped me get workouts and get some quality rounds in. Being at a judo club with no other national players, I got to brawl with the wrestlers and work on technique with the judo club. And uh, I was in shape from working out, you know, three or four hours in a row on the mat. Um, college was an interesting time in my life for sure. There was a lot going on. Um, developing kind of coming into the whole, like, Oh, well, how do you make team USA? Like I said, old yeah. school, if you're like number one ranked in the nation, then they're going to send you to Pan Ams and world championships. And they had trials at senior nationals for, for the world championships or whatever, you know? And, and so I was, I grew up, like I was trying to qualify for Beijing, right? I was young. I was 18, 19 for Beijing. Um, and you know, I was just, was kind of a dreamer. I didn't realize quite the gravity of what that meant. What that meant. Time. Sure. Right. You know, like I said, dreamer from Idaho. I was like, man, I'm going to fucking take them on. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got out there. I got smoked by the, by the big dogs and stuff. And I lost the U S open to the dude who took fifth, you know? Um, now how, so be, so before we get there, like, so you're, you're, you're a junior, you're, 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 uh, kind of trying to make your way in into this world here like how do you come up in the rankings and this is more for the benefit of, of, of like i said parents sure, that may sure. have kids and stuff what does that even mean coming up through the rankings in you know in this you in the united states and what does that look like do you, do you have to you know go to certain tournaments do you have to know certain people like what, what might that look like uh, for sure. somebody who's a, who's a young teenager that may want to take a similar uh, path to, to what you've taken in your, in your competitive career? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And um, so a simple breakdown is, is first what divisions you're trying to fight in and what teams you're trying to qualify. So there's the juniors, which I, I believe is up to 20 years old now. It was a little bit different when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And then senior categories after that. And there are some juniors that are good enough they fight both divisions and maybe they make both teams, junior and senior teams. But to, to qualify for any of these teams, you, you know, it's, it's kind of like um, you can, you know, you've got like state tournament, regional tournament, um, and then national level tournament. So you got to go to, there's designated tournaments each year that uh, if you win first, second or third place, you'll get a certain amount of points. And so the first, you know, lowest level is the E-level tournament. Right, right. And they've right. got the D-level, and then they've got national level is C. C, so if you're, sure. So if you take a medal at nationals, you got the C-level points. 
and uh, international is B A plus. Yeah, and, yeah, and so, A's, A's are the Olympics and the World Championships, correct? That's 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 A that plus. Level. That's A plus. Yeah, okay, gotcha. If you just get a regular A level, that starts at the um, the Open tournaments or the Pan, the World Cup tournaments, right? Previously, okay, or like gotcha. Said, Pan American Open that's technically an A level tournament, and then A plus is like Grand Slam, World Masters, World Championships. Okay. So yeah, good. so starting out, you know, you got to find which tournaments are worth points and then you got to go to these tournaments and you got to take, take a medal or take a fifth place at the bare minimum. Um, and then, like I said, if you have E level points, they're not as good as D. So even if you have 10 E level points, it's, it's somebody who has five e, D levels or five C levels, they're going to be past you. So you kind of get your ranking and then you go to the next level. You say, okay, I, I won gold at an E level time for me to rumble at the D level you took silver or bronze and that's good enough. Let's go to senior nationals or high school nationals or college nationals and see what we can do. Um, it used to be, like I said, if you were number one in your weight class in the, in the national roster, you were on the team or you would at least have a good chance of winning your fight off against the other person to make Pan Am championships. Currently for the senior nationals or the senior um, circuit, the national roster is almost completely obsolete. If you're on the C, if you're trying to make senior Pan American senior world championships, if you want to go to the Olympics, um, you have to be ranked better than anybody else in your weight class in your international division, IJF roster. So you got to be the number one plus hundred in the IJF roster. Now, how do you get on the IJF roster? Some, some, so somebody, because because yep. it, it, it seems to me these days, and this, and this is where there's a there's a gap where I don't even know how it how it's done. It seems to me that somebody that wins senior nationals, it doesn't give you a spot on, on Team USA. It seems like you have no. to do a lot more than that. Yep. So yeah. So like I said, currently, um, to be the top international guy or girl or whatever you got to uh so you so say you take bronze or silver at senior nationals you're now qualified to start fighting in the ijf ranking tournaments so those are your pan-american opens european open asian open things like that and those are your a-level tournaments so those have a different breakdown of points those are just if you go there and if you win a match you're going to score some points but obviously, if you win third or silver or gold medal, you get more points than if you take fifth or seventh. Sure. And then your, your top five results in a 12-month calendar year um, creates your ranking. So if you go to five tournaments and you take five fifth places, then that constitutes your ranking. If the same person in your weight class from USA went to all the same tournaments and they took two bronzes and two sevenths and, a, and a something else, then whoever has the most points – is now ranked highest in that weight class IJF and that trumps your national ranking roster. Gotcha. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's kind of an obscurity. And then there's this weird situation. So when we go to, when we choose our Pan American team or in our world championship team, we take the highest seven women, the highest seven men across all weight classes. And then you get two extra women and two extra men. Those are called the wild cards. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the rule with that is like world championships, you can only have two per weight class. So if there's three 73 kilo guys that are all ranked higher than, you know, they're ranked in the top nine, essentially, 
one of them can't go. And so then whoever's number 10 gets to go. So it's kind of an obscurity. You want to be top nine men or top nine women of all IJF weight classes in order to compete at the Pan American Championships or the World Championships. I'll be honest, even that changes every one to two years. The USA Judo Board will have their meeting and they'll say, uh, you know, we should only take people who are ranked in the top 40 IJF or we're, we can only take these people or, you know, we want to make sure they have actual A-level points. So they, they make all these obscurities and it changes every couple of years. So you, if you're going to be into it, you've got to be invested. You've got to read everything that's on the website, all the newsletters, and it's all published on USA Judo, you know. So you've got to stay up on it because every time IJF changes something, for example, USA Judo's got to adjust too. Right. So it, it makes it obscure because, like I said, one year I qualified out this way. The next year I was in a different position and I still qualified. Kids who were in the same position two years in a row, they, you know, maybe did or maybe didn't qualify because of, because of it. And, um, and the same thing goes for funding. They, they change the criteria for which athletes get funded and, and what tournaments they get funded to almost every year. So even you yeah. get funded this year, you lose it in six. And sometimes when I, the last time I was competing, it was a, a quarterly review. You're talking about three months. You could lose funding every three months. You get an injury, like you tear your ACL, you have surgery, you're out six to nine months recovering from that. You know, it's a really tough situation, man. Yeah. And, and that's, um, that's how it's done currently, right? It's done currently every three months. At least that was my impression. The last time I looked at the uh, USA Judah's website in re with specifically to funding to athlete funding and such it's, it's currently that way every three months. That's they, my understanding. Yeah. I haven't looked since I was a competitor about nine months ago, but as far as I know, it hasn't changed yet. Now, uh, now before I get to my next question, just real quick, are, are you retired now or are you still an active competitor? Do you still, uh, pandemic aside, are you still an yeah. active competitor? Unfortunately, I'm not. I'm, I'm kind of retired by circumstance. Okay. Uh, I didn't want to be, but my, my life situation is such that uh, I am retired. And if I, if I win the Mega Millions lottery, I will certainly be making moves to come back to competition. So gotcha. you right. might see me, you might see me back, but uh, you might not. I, I just, I am currently retired, not training, just trying to work and, and pay off some debt. Sure. Now, now with regards to you bring up winning the Mega Millions and that changing your, your, uh, how um how were you supported financially as you rose through just the national ranks getting through to all of these tournaments because you know again sometimes when i see these these uh let's say uh you know the president's cup or 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 the national championships are held in different states well that stuff as far as i know doesn't typically make its way up to idaho so how did you manage to kind of fund your your rise through the ranks was it primarily your parents when you were younger or or did you have other sorts of sponsorships through maybe local businesses or 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 maybe a a generous benefactor kind of flipping the bill for you how how are you able to fund uh yourself uh oh ajax i think you muted yourself oh, yeah you got me back yeah, there you are. Okay. Did you did yeah. you hear the question? Yes, I did. And uh, yeah, I was kind of rambling before I realized what happened. So 
definitely younger high school and early before I was like on any of the teams, just trying to get up to the national rankings was, was parents and a part-time job. Part-time job. Okay. Gotcha. A little bit of help from a company called Visa. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which, I'm, I'm sure. You know, so yeah, definitely. I mean, you got to travel every time you got to pick wisely. You got to find what fits your school schedule and you, you got to, like I said, try and choose optimal tournaments. And that, as far as I've seen, that's generally the case. There are a few exceptions where uh, certain dojos are doing well enough and they're in a financial place where they have set up programs to, to help out some of their athletes. So maybe depending on your club, if you look like a, a young talent that's got the potential um, and your particular club is generous or in a situation where they can help. Sometimes I've seen athletes get funding directly from their clubs, but generally speaking, the, just the structure of judo as a whole in the United States, it's not too often. And usually it's kind of a, for lack of a better term, it's a rich kid sport. I wasn't yeah. really a rich kid, but my father was a union Pacific railroader. So he had really good union benefits. He had, he had solid pay through the union and he had, you know, now he's retired. Ultimately, had a 36-year career, so he had he had set himself up a good life when I was uh, coming up into the ranks. So we did have some money to get me to the national level sure. tournament. And uh, you know, I went to Japan every summer in college and trained for one to two months um, at Tokai and Nitai Dai and some of the bigger universities, which helped develop me a ton. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, but, yeah, I mean that that everybody <laughs> over there seems just to be fantastic i mean that's that's just my impression even even just from the college squads that just you you would have oh. a lot of uh excellent training partners it just it would seem like an overabundance of training partners that would be my that's my impression i don't know if that's reality but certainly my impression of what i hear no, it it definitely is the reality even like their mid-level universities like i just went to the kumamoto state university once um which is kind of a smaller area not super competitive and there was at least you know, 20, 20 um, solid dudes on the mat that had real classic judo and a couple of them were kind of competitive brawlers. So yeah, you had plenty of people to work with, real technique, real uh, competitive edge. And like I said, and then if you go to Tokai or Nitai Dai, it's, you got too many training partners. You can't even, can't hardly keep up, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So when did you actually make the Team USA roster? So it's kind of an interesting question. I wanted to specify um, being part of Team USA is, 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 it, is kind of an obscurity in definition. Generally, since it's all Olympic committee, being Team USA is like you're the Olympic team or you can be part of Team USA as the Pan American Games or okay. as the World University Games. That's like really, you know, when you see like – Oh, these Team USA, other sports, people in other sports on Team USA assume that like you're an Olympian or you are at least like an alternate that's really close to being an Olympian, right? Right, right. Um, and in judo, it's a little bit different. So we're, we're kind of on, you know, other countries have their programs and they're, what they're called is like you're on the national team. Doesn't mean you're an Olympian, but you're on the national team, which means you're okayed by their programs to represent your nation internationally mm -hmm. being on the national team doesn't like i said doesn't mean you're an olympian or doesn't mean you're the top beast but it means you're good to go outside so um 
And so it kind of weans and wanes because there are people that are, you know, on Team USA for like a month. They made one world championships and then they kind of fell off the roster. They got passed and they never, you know, there are two people right now that in my day, we were teammates on the world championship teams that never made a Pan American team. They never made a, a second world championship. They were just a one-time world team member by circumstance and by, you know, just the way it shook out. And so it's kind of weird to be like, oh, Team USA, but not really, you know, you can lose your Team USA status before you've ever really even <laughs> Yeah, it out seems, it seems pretty quickly. See, It seems yeah. like that can happen you know, almost at a moment's notice, almost anyway, that that's, yeah, that's how it, it sounds does. like to me. It so, does. So I made my first, like, I get, like I said, kind of depending on what you look at, I made the world university games in 2011. And that's like a big, that's like a mini Olympics for, for all university athletes. So they've got track and field, swimming, judo, wrestling. They've got every Olympic sport but it's only for university athletes. It's a way bigger deal than I knew when I was going into it. It's a way bigger deal than almost anybody at USA Geo gives it credit for. And hands down, 2011, Shenzhen, China, World University Games, the university ad was my absolute favorite tournament and judo tournament experience of all time. That, really? That Why the, is that? That was it. It was a culmination of everything. It's, like I said, it's like a mini Olympics it's like a mini, it's like a, it's bigger than Pan Am games, but it's smaller than the Olympics. But I mean, it was everything you got, you get these bags full of gear. You're there with all these friends. It's, it's an overwhelming atmosphere. You know, there's tons of energy. You've got that, like for just a moment for this week or two week period, you've got that superstar VIP status where you're like, you know, you're walking by and everybody's like, Oh, Hey, how are you today? Yeah. Let me grab the door for you. Let me get this put your bags over here. I'll take your bags for you while you sign your registration paperwork. Like here's your credentials, free food all the time. Cafeterias got a buffet with all the food you can want 10 different cultures worth of food, you know? Um, and it's just overwhelming. The atmosphere is completely electric. Everybody's excited to be there. So you're walking around the village and, and everybody, all these athletes from all over the world are popping, they're hanging out, they're talking, they're trading these little, they give you like 20, you know, um, team USA little pins that you, that you would put like on your backpack and stuff. And right. you walk around and you trade them with countries like, Oh, I need the Italian one. I want to get Mexico. And Oh, I made a friend from Zimbabwe, you know, and, and Malawi and you're trading these pins and some people start trading jackets and t-shirts towards the end, you know, the tournament itself. I mean, everything is crisp. Everything, the buses are, the schedules are immaculate. They pick you up on time. They get you to the venue on time. There's no traffic. They close down highway traffic lanes so that all these athletes can get to and from the village and their venues. Um, the warm-up area is huge. You're on an elevated platform, three huge tatamis. There's cameras everywhere. And it's just not something we really get in the judo world very often. You know what I mean? Even the world championships usually aren't on an elevated stage. And uh, there's just so much energy there. It, it You know, you – you cannot be depressed. You cannot be like sad until that experience is over. While you're there, the energy's popping. It's just, it's, it's so cool. And I, that was also when I was the youngest, you know, and when you're younger, things are more stimulating than you're older. You're a little more jaded and a little more like, Oh yeah, I'm used to that. I've seen this before. Sure. So that first time was just 
so overwhelming. And there were coaches, you know, in USA judo and, uh, they straight up talked out. They talked to some of their athletes out of going to the university app. They were like, listen, it's a self-funded tournament. It doesn't qualify you for any IJF ranking. It doesn't give you any senior national ranking points. You've already got to pay for 10 tournaments this year, self-funded. That's kind of a waste of money. And there were athletes I knew that uh, turned down their slot to do that. And every time I think about it, I think, man, they, like, they blew it. That was, that was their closest chance at ever experiencing anything even remotely close to that. And they'll just, they'll never know the energy. And I'm not joking. I've got goosebumps right now. I'm talking about it. I remember walking through the opening ceremonies, you know, and music's going off and the, the ground, the platform we're walking on was shaking. You know, there's thousands of athletes walking on this pathway, you know, it's dark. It's just like the Olympic games, except for, you know, I don't get to call myself an Olympian. I get to say the university. Yeah. <laughs> Right, it's right. crazy. It's just crazy, though. It's the whole experience was nuts. It was a whirlwind, and um, and I, I truly, honestly, I feel disheartened for the athletes that I know their coaches told them it was a waste of time because the life experience is unmatchable. No matter what, every two years that tournament goes off, and it's going to be a different experience than two years prior or two years in the future. So it's it's really a one shot deal. Same with Pan American Games and same with the Olympic Games. So if you ever miss that by choice, man, I really, I really, really feel for you. You know, well, that's, fast, that's, that's fascinating. I, I mean, everything you're describing here is, I, it's nothing I've ever experienced in my own life. And uh, that, sounds, that sounds tremendous, really. I mean, in, in, you know, just like you're saying, it's, if, you know, if some, some athletes are being, you know, warned off to, that, that it's not a worthwhile you know, tournament. That's, uh, that's unfortunate. It sounds like they're missing a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pity for sure. So when you are going from national level and, and, and being a part of, you, you know, for, for lack of a better term, now that you've kind of explained what it means to be on team USA and stuff, but you're still by being on team USA, you're still separated from really everybody else. That's kind of how I see it you know, everybody else that's, you, you're either on it or you're not, uh, you know, that's kind of how I see it. So mm. when you're on it, are do, does your, do your coaches change? Does your training methodologies change? Are you put on a high performance plan? Do you pick a certain coach? Do you have certain, well, you've already, ex you've already explained that there are events that you probably do target, um, that you should be trying to target and, and, and getting to. Can you explain a little bit of how, how everything changes, you know, going from being more of a national level competitor to really taking a next step to being an international level competitor? Yeah. Um, and if anytime you want to jump in, just do, cause again, I'll, I'll ramble forever. I'll get sidetracked. So I'll do my best. It's a really, hairy situation that um and, I, and i'm a bit of an observer so i'll talk about my experience but also mm -hmm. the broad you know what everything i witnessed from other athletes um so i made my first senior team 2015 pan american championships i had had you know a torn acl i had some trouble coming back to competition after that in 2012 2013 and i kind of didn't pick momentum back up until 2014 and that qualified me senior Pan Ams 2015 
So at that point in time, I had already moved to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, head coach Ed Liddy at the time. And I mean, currently and, and in the past for like 20 years, he's been there forever. He's put out a lot of Olympians. Um, right. So I was already at like a national training center. And for anybody who doesn't quite understand the situation, USA Judo has four designated national training centers that are, that are allotted about $20,000, $25,000 a year to spend either funding their athletes or buying new tatami or buying crash pads or, or just buying whatever that they feel is good for their athletes to perform well. Um, and there's a lot of political discrepancies with that. A lot of athletes don't ever see that money or, you know, maybe you just get new crash pads, but that doesn't really help me get to Pan Am championships. Of, kind of, of course. Thing. Right. So it's kind of a, an obscurity there, but so, so generally speaking, most of your Pan American and or world championship team are already training at one of the four national training centers. You've got Kitsusai in Florida, Pedro's judo in Wakefield, Massachusetts, right? Right. Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, San Jose State University in California. And they tried to, you know, geographically make it so that whatever region you're from, you can reasonably make a get move to, to yeah, one of these get to a centers. place. Right. Yeah. Um, there are a few, you know, athletes that just made their teams from Idaho. Uh, Michael Eldridge, 73 kilos back in the 2012, 20, 2008 days. Nina Kucha Kelly, currently our, our number one plus 78. She's out in Texas, just kind of at a local club, you know, run by an old school judo guy. That's, sure. Um, so there, there are some exceptions to the rule, but generally you're already at a national training center, which means you're already on their program, whatever that is, making the team. Um, on, and I, I believe this is a failure of USA judo. doesn't change your program whatsoever. It doesn't give you any sort of news. Um, they try to let the national training centers and the coaches there deal with the athletes in their own way. So all four of our national training centers just kind of do whatever they want and it either fits your needs or it doesn't. So you actually also see a lot of athletes bouncing around training centers every couple of years. Cause well, it's not quite working out here. It's, it was good for this development, but now I'm at a different stage. I need more help. You know, I need different kind of help. I, I need training partners. Like my big issue at Olympic training center and at Pedro's being minus hundred and plus hundred, I usually had one or two 90 kilo guys to rumble with and some 81s. Uh, maybe I had a minus hundred, maybe, you know, but generally yeah. speaking, I didn't have any big bodies to work with. Um, so that was kind of a weird issue. So, but no, they don't put you on a performance program. They might, you know, if you're like in Texas or if you're from your own club, they'll ask you, you know, are you lifting weights? You know, you gotta be a little bit stronger for these international guys. And you can be like, yeah, I've been lifting all the time. And they're like, okay, cool. You know, good luck. Keep lifting because you're going to need it. So, so wait, 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 wait. there's nobody that, that maybe sits down with you and nothing comes up with a, I nope. don't know, a, a meal plan. Don't even um, need you to finish your sentence. There's nobody. There's nothing. Really? That, that's very surprised. That's that. That's very surprising to me. I I, I didn't know yeah. that. I, I would have assumed. Of course. I would assume yeah. maybe you know they would be kind of you know I, I don't counseling yeah. or or, yeah, or, yeah. or something along those lines to to, to kind of get you in the right direction because I mean I, I I would never even be on a national level not even close but if I wanted to. I mean, these are all things that I would need 
I, I would also have to be about 25 years younger, <laughs> but, but, you know, let's say if I was 20 uh, again, you know, and I, and, I, and I was somebody wanting to take that next level and, and, and be on a national level. I, I mean, the, these are all the things that I would need help with. Yeah. So there are some options, but you got to know what you need. And that's hard because, you know, the old saying, I don't know what I don't know. You don't, right. <laughs> so you're coming up and, and like, I had been lifting weights for years in, in Idaho with my gym buddies who lifted weights and they're just power lifters and bodybuilders. So I'm not doing athletic programs. I'm just, well, that's how they got strong. I better try that. Right. You know? And once I moved to the Olympic training center, there were professional strength and conditioning coaches. So I got on a program. Okay. But that is a separate situation from like the board of USA judo or the high performance director or anything like that. Again, that's, I found my strength and conditioning coach, through Ed Liddy, who's running that national training center, you go to Pedro's, they have different strength and conditioning coaches through different organizations with different philosophies and you're getting different results. So huh. like I said, just, just qualifying for your first team, nobody comes to you and says, Hey, you're on the team. Now we want to see you do better. We don't just want you to be on the team. We want to see you win on the team. We want to see you stay on the team. Now, that doesn't happen. Um, huh. You know, potentially you can, you can say like, Hey, I'm on the Pan Am team. I'd like to talk to a nutritionist. I'm having trouble cutting weight. You know, I'm, I'm having trouble with sports psychology, performance anxiety. The, U, the USOPC, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, has psychologists and nutritionists, and they're designated to kind of different areas of sports. So our nutritionist with, under USA Judo is the combative nutritionist, people who have to cut weight. So wrestling, boxing, taekwondo, judo. I think fencing as well, right? Any combat sports, you go to Rob Skinner, this guy helps you out. He's got a few assistants. They can write, pro, they can write nutrition meal plans for you too. But you gotta, you got to self-advocate. you got to come out and say like, oh, I'm having trouble. Or you got to miss weight twice. And then the board's going to be like, hey, man, you missed weight at the World Championships. What, what, what gives? And I'm like, oh, I just I don't know how to do it. And they say, okay, you got to talk to our nutritionist. But making the team, they don't, nobody turns their nose at you. They don't care unless you make Pan Ams and win a medal. And then they're like, oh, that kid could probably do it. Yeah. Maybe I'll give him some more attention. You know, maybe. If you're, if you're you know, I'm at Olympic Training Center. I'm in Colorado under Ed Liddy at the time. Pedro's aren't going to give me any help. They don't give a shit. They, they got Travis and Kayla and yeah. they're helping other people. And so it's each training center what resources do they have? What political connections do they have? Who did they work with when they were athletes in their area? And you just kind of get grandfathered in under whatever they did, you know. Um, it's not an organized thing from USA Judo or the board or – and that, and that I agree that, that I'm with you. It's surprising and it's a disappointment. I feel it's, it's, it's a lack it's a, of support. It's a, it's a shame because – Judo clearly has uh, unique sport specific needs, you know, from athletes. I would, I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm way, way past my prime, I, but I, I can at least relate from, from a point of view. I, I used to be a, an, an excellent long distance runner, competitive mm. long distance runner. And I certainly had, you know, needs. I, I, I needed to, eat a certain way and, and train a certain yeah. way and, and do certain things that was specific to my sport at the time. And I, I mean, 
sure, you can go to a strength, strength and conditioning coach that, that, that's good and, and experienced and, and covers, you know, different, you know, uh, other combat sports. But judo certainly has – is very unique in, mm-hmm. in its movements, in, in its philosophies, and in, in the way that we practice and train and, and things like that, that um, – I would think that you would have better resources and better support from a judo specific point of view, um, right? Instead of maybe taking the, the good old sixties and seventies approach of <laughs> lifting heavy and, and just keep going until you can't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, things are, things are a little bit more, uh, you know, put together these days than that. For sure. We, I got a joke with one of my friends. He was a big wrestler growing up and he got into judo and and we always the the era we use is the 90s and the example is uh we're well past the 90s where whoever worked the hardest wins right now you gotta work the hardest and you gotta work the smartest it's got to be a combination of both so you need more resources you need more support you know and particularly with with judo the tough thing is just our nation as a whole most strength and conditioning coaches don't really know how to train for judo generally speaking and then like you mentioned you get into the specifics if you're training a 48 kilo female athlete and you're training a 90 kilo male athlete what are their needs in the weight room what's going to help them win because it's different even though they're both ijf judo it's a different need then you've got even more so you got two 90 kilo guys one's kind of small one's kind of big you got to be careful who's cutting weight and who's not You've got to even then be careful. One's an Uchimata Haragoshi guy. The other's a Drop Seo Nawaza guy. Even how you train them is different because 90 kilos, IJF judo, but three different Tokui Waza, you know, skill sets that they fight with. Right. So it's all, you know, and there's that level of professionalism is just really unheard of for judo in the United States. So your best case scenario is you get a trainer that's on your side and he knows all this kid needs to gain weight or this kid needs to lose weight or this guy's got stamina issues. So we got to do more cardio circuits. Um, But I was wildly disappointed with a bunch of my strength coaches over the years. And I even made progress with them. And I, I just wasn't, you know, I was like, this isn't right. Is one I was, I kind of knew my situation both with the at the national training centers for judo, as well as strength and conditioning coaches. I was like, ah, it's not right but I don't know what right is. If I knew that I'd be a champion and I'd coach a bunch of champions, you know? <laughs> sure. Well, I spent my whole career trying to figure out how I could get better. Um, and just for the record, I'm, I have a bachelor's degree in physical education. Um, so I'm, you know, I've got this like teaching background and coaching background. And um, so I've got this really different kind of approach to, to all of it. And I think I've found some potentially successful methodologies you know over the years right i helped i helped paralympic bronze medalist d'artagnan crockett um take oh, okay. his medal in rio i was his like personal oh, nice. coach as well as his training partner and um and i'm not like bragging but you know i just he he told me after that you know he said i wouldn't have won this medal without you like i he won bronze in london and um he told me Rio was harder. It was a tougher bracket. He had beat, he had to beat a dude he'd never beat before. Yeah. And he just said like, yeah, I already won one of these medals, but this one was more important. It was harder to do. And I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have two medals if it wasn't for you. 
but like I said, so all of that, like, it's really hard to change your own situation and to know what you don't know. And it's a, it's a trial by error. And, you know, when you're, I, you know, I expressed my concerns to my coaches at the time. I said, Hey, I don't think this is right. I'm, I'm feel when I'm out there on the mat with these IJF guys, the, it, the international, the big house Europeans and Asians, this is how I feel. And they always hit you with it. They take a, a personal hit to their own pride. You know, a little bit of ego gets in the way. Sure. And, and they say, well, listen, when you came to us, you were only 90th on the IGF roster and now you're 35, you know, look at how much progress we made. And if we can get you five more spaces, then you're there, you're in the Olympics. So what are you complaining to us about? We've made the progress. And, but uh, you know, sometimes, you know, in your heart, you're like, I'm not getting past this. I'm not hitting the next level until something changes. You try to express that politically and correct that nicely and say, hey, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but I'm just wondering what else can I do? And, and it's inevitable. They're like, get out of here, kid. You know what I mean? You kid from Idaho, like whatever, dude, we, we've done everything for you. And you're like, I, I know that's not true. And it, it gets hairy fast, you know, man, that, that's, that, that's a real shame. I, I, I can't even, I can't even begin to, to imagine what it would be like, you know, to be, to be in that situation, especially when just getting there. Um, just getting to that in that yeah. situation, all the years, all the, the the amount of training and and training partners you've had, and things like that, to be to be at that position, to know that you, you that you're not getting the right help, um, and all the costs involved and everything like that. That's that that's got to be so tremendously uh, difficult. I, I would think anyway, because you know, again, I mean. I know when I watch, because I watch a lot of the, the, the IJF World Judo Tour. I watch yeah. a lot of it. And I see a lot of athletes that I, 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 they're just on a different level compared to, to, um, to what I'm seeing being developed at, at, you know, from, the, from, from the juniors and, and, and the cadets. And, and the thing is, is that you, the juniors and the cadets is going to be a, a telltale sign of how the seniors are going to be in, you know, in the future. And, yeah. and we're, you know, it's, it's the situation has not been really great o over the past few years. So this, oh, yeah. there's, a, there, there's unfortunately, and I don't, I don't blame the athletes. I, I, I don't. So that's, you know, and, and that's the thing about doing this podcast is sometimes when I talk, about team USA and results and things like that. I, I'm never, I'm never talking down about the athletes or the effort or anything like that. I, I know they're, I, I have to, I mean, you're just giving me a peek behind the curtain um, of some of the challenges that, that, that somebody in your position has to, has to, to deal with. Um, yeah. You know, being, being a part, being, be, trying to make it into, you, you know, higher rankings on the IJF world tour and, and you've got the disadvantage, the added disadvantage of being basically on the other side of the world. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, well, I got to tell you, I appreciate that you treat it neutral towards the athletes because generally speaking in my experience, you know, and I've, I've been to, you know, two dozen local dojos, all four national training centers, other countries, training camps, whatever. Man, I got to tell you, man, most of the blame people look down on the athletes. They, 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 they should not. They just, they can't put their head around like, and it's really, this is how I, this, it's simple to me. 
if you if you're on the if you go out internationally which most of these people don't so i get like you don't know what you don't know right but they showed up to one event and they got to be behind the scenes they got to watch athlete arrive uh, athletes arriving at the airport at a tournament they got to see the hotel arrival they got to see the weight cutting process the team warm-ups the weigh-ins the warm-ups the day of the competition the competitions go down and everything that happens in the next few hours before everybody flies out. If you saw the whole process, if you looked at it critically, it's, it's really simple. You've got a few teams that are trying to make wheels out of hammer and chisel. And those are your only tools, hammer and chisel. Yeah. And you can hammer away at it. That's all you can do, hammer away at the grindstone. And then you've got, you know, Toyota um, tire manufacturers. What's going to be a more quality tire or a right. wheel that runs smoother? It's just – they have the tools and then the workers use the tools to put results out and we're hammering it's team USA as a whole. We hammer away. We work as hard as everybody. We grew up with the same inspirational podcast mindset of you got to work harder than everybody else. You know, get up earlier first to be there last to leave captain of the team, you know, bust your ass, never quit, never say no Rocky Balboa. You know what I mean? Rudy and all these sports movies we watched and we're all inspired and we all, go to Tokai for two months. You go to Tokai, you get to brawl. Yeah. You get to see some really good judo. You maybe learn a couple of things, but realistically is your performance results going to skyrocket? No, a hundred percent not. You don't have, especially if you go without a coach because you're either getting tooled on by the Japanese bosses yeah. or you're working your way up with two hands on floating Japanese Rondori and you learn some really good techniques and you do learn to brawl but it's different than when you go to Europe and these guys are hitting you with body locks and cross yeah. grips and they're flopping, dropping South America. And you can't, they're getting throws before you can throw, even though they're not throwing you They're You're getting Cheetos and the game it's, you know, we have just a weird mix. And then you, you come home and these old dojo senseis from three generations ago are like, what happened? And you're like, dude, this guy got me with this thing. And they, they, they literally, they snub, they go, <laughs> Oh man. Well, back to the drawing board. And that's what you get. You know, that's how I grew up. And even at the Olympic training center, I'd come home. My coach hadn't even watched my match. You know, not only did he not get to go to that tournament, I'd be like, Hey man, this is all online. You know, what'd you think of my match? You go, Oh dude, I didn't catch it. I'm really sorry. What happened? Then you got to try and tell them what happened. And then they got to go, all right, well, so let's work on that. And then you show up to practice and you're just expected to work it into your own Rondori. They don't even yell at you and tell you, hey, we talked about this. Let's see it happen, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Sorry, that's a bit of a tangent, but man, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I subject for me. A lot of no, of, of course. Uh, of course. And this is, this is, this is an aspect of, of things. I, I think you are, are talking about things that a lot of people don't know about um, or, or maybe – it's it's not openly discussed, but you know what? That's why I got a podcast so we can have these yeah. kind of discussions and 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 bring it out into the light and and not not necessarily be critical of individuals, but but, yeah. but maybe maybe bring light to you know. And again, look for me, I, I, I'm I'm not a high performance coach. I don't know. I don't have the answers. I just know that other countries have the answers, and they have far less resources. Uh, as a country uh, than the United States. I mean, the United States, here comes my flag waving, is, is <laughs> you know, the yeah. greatest country in the world. And, and we're one of the, certainly one of the richest countries in the world. And mm -hmm. 
you know, when we see USA wrestling, US, you know, USA skiing, you know, boxing, basketball, I, I mean, we dominate in, in most sports across the board. Uh, we don't dominate in judo. Um, and there has to be a reason for that. And that's why I don't blame the athletes because be, because something it's not it's it's not for a lack of desire on your guys's part. Yeah, you you know it's not for a lack of effort. I mean, I I follow so many uh people on Team USA on the Instagram. I see them working hard. I, I I'm curious, you know, on, on how they got their own uh training plan and and you know what. Um, sometimes I see training videos and I'm like. Why are you doing that? You, oh yeah. Why are you doing those motion? And I, I'll I'll say this: that the thing that I don't I, I don't like seeing, and, and I'm I'm gonna get ragged on for this by people. I, I don't care. That's all right. I see I see some modern athletes from Team USA sometimes doing training methodologies that I've seen in judo books from the '60s. Yeah, and I, I think I think there's something wrong with that. You know, it, it, there's yeah. just there's something there's something wrong with that. Just just because they did it in Japan in the 60s and 70s doesn't mean that doing those types of things is the is the best approach to developing, um, it, developing yourself as 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 a high level competitor and getting better. I just, I, sometimes I see those things and, and I'm not saying that I have a better answer. I just see something like that. And I think to myself, there's gotta be a better answer. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, somebody that wants to improve their vertical leap. I I used to be big in the basketball. Somebody wants to improve their vertical leap. Well, they wouldn't take, uh, you know, 225 pounds on their shoulders and just jump up and down. There's, there's better ways to yeah. develop, you know, explosive, you know, fast yeah. twitch muscles. I, I know there's better ways. I, I can't coach <laughs> them. I just know there's better ways than doing just that and, and killing your knees in the process. Let me side sidetrack real quick on that note. Um, one of my strength and conditioning coaches, right? Super professional. If you look on his paperwork, resume, impeccable credentials sure and uh and i was doing squat jumps with up to 185 on my back right (laughs) to develop explosive power right and that was one of the points in time where i was like the same thing i didn't know that i didn't know but i was like i know this isn't the right way i know this isn't you know what i mean i don't know what is right but i know this isn't this isn't it this ain't fucking it (laughs) right it was funny they used that exact example because that was something i did live through and I ultimately left that strength coach and found a different guy and found a different guy. And I found some things that worked over the years and found some things that would have been great 10 years ago when I was a 20 year old. And, and, you know, now I'm just behind the ball, 31 years old, trying to claw at a career that never f- amounted to what I'd hoped, you know? Sure. Um, and so, yeah, so part of that, the, the strange thing is really with judo, again, everybody athletes needs are different and what works here. The hard thing is, in the United States as a broad whole generalized statement don't really treat Olympic and IJF judo as a high, you know, high output, high performance sport. You still have all of these old school people treating it as this martial art. Yeah. And the, the refusal to just change the approach absolutely hinders every athlete, including 
the ones that did find success, it hindered them until they found success. They had to change something when they didn't make it to Beijing mm -hmm. in order to make it to London and be successful. You know what I mean? It hindered them at certain points, right? And it was, so it's really interesting because like I said, there are so many different approaches I've seen to competing in judo. You know, there's just this lack of exploitation of the rule set this underpreparedness for certain grips or certain transitions to Nawaza and this, this overall kind of most of our athletes right now with a few exceptions, some of our veterans, you know, Angie and Colton got a pretty good handle on it, generally speaking, yeah. but a lot of our current mid-level guys and uh, up and comers that are, that are right on the cusp of making these teams and having another four to 10 year career. There's kind of this like, panicked fighting style you can tell even when they're winning by two shitos you can tell they're not comfortable they're not like in control of the match and right. they're kind of just like oh ah, this is it i'm winning you know and then they blow it with 20 seconds and they get slammed by some stupid gimmick move and it, it's like man you fell for that of all the things but they don't know better they were not coached better they're not we don't you go you get yelled at in the you know in the background maybe depending on your coach and your situation you know, politically speaking, you don't get yelled at by the USA judo coaches. Sure, sure. But sure. if you go back to Pedro's or if you go back to San Jose, you get yelled at like, what? That was so stupid. What were you thinking? You know, and they might tell you in that situation, this is what you got to do. But you go back to a regular practice. You don't drill that situation. Right, right. They don't make you do it 30, 40, 50 times so you get it right. They don't watch you. It even – the two times that I had somebody do that, they didn't watch me drill it. They just told me to drill it. And I drilled it for 50 times alone in the corner with my training partner. Sure. And whether I was doing it right or wrong, the coach doesn't even know, you know, USA wrestling. If you, if you blow a match like that in the last 20 seconds, some guy throws you for five, you get yelled at, you get told how to not do that again. And then you drill it. And then you drill it like literally until you throw up, you know what I mean? They'll drill it for three weeks until. Yeah. You literally cannot lose like that again. Right, you know? right, right. And, 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 so, and, and conversely, okay. other countries are probably preparing their athletes that they have a game, they have a 20 second game plan. They've got, oh, the, yeah. they've got the, the, you know, the, the 60 second game plan. If you're yep. done by, you know, if you, if you got two Shitos on you, you've got, you've got the yep. 30 second game plan. If you're up by a Wazari, you, you know, they've, they've, yeah. they've got these situations. And you know, something, you said something really interesting about the martial art versus sport. There's a fellow that, that has another judo podcast that uh, I believe he competed in London at the Olympics. He certainly was on the British squad. He has, he has always maintained, and I agree with him, that judo, especially in the United States, has an identity crisis of sorts. It's people, oh, yeah. a, lot, a lot of people want it to be uh, both a martial art and a sport, but I think now to me, like, you know, cause I'm, I'm just a recreational hobbyist. I do it for fun. I, I I'm a recreational yeah. guy. That's it. And that's all I'll ever be. And I'm, I'm very happy with that. But if you're going to do this as a sport, you, it, you gotta treat, to me, you gotta treat it like a sport in all aspects. And absolutely. And I, and I think sometimes it's my impression. I, I, you, I think you pretty much confirmed this, that, you know, there, there's a lot of people in, in very influential positions that are, that are trying to teeter 
judo being still being both even at the at the highest levels and it can't be both at the highest levels it's it's a it's got to be a in, in order for judo to thrive in the united states in my opinion it's got to be treated as a sport uh, you know yeah. in every aspect it's not this it's it this isn't about you know the 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 moral uh yeah no individual <laughs> or anything like that um it it to me it shouldn't be about that and, and and i admit you know for for my my foreign listeners that that's a to me that's a very american perspective in terms of winning and losing you to you, you know, in this country, you do what it takes to win. You know, and if and <laughs> the the old saying goes, if you're not cheating, you're you're not trying. You, you know, and I'm not I'm not advocating no. cheating. You know, I'm not saying that, but yeah, that's that, in most of our other sports, that's the mindset. You you what? you do things to to gain a competitive advantage, whether it's trash talking and. I, I know you don't trust talking to match, but you know what I mean. You get in somebody's head. No, 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 no. Don't even. They do that. At IJF judo, that does happen all the time. Yeah. It does happen. It's low key. It's not on Twitter. It's not on, you know, it's not like openly being like, hey, you're, you fucking suck. I'm going to kill you tomorrow. It's not that blatant as it is in like American football. Okay. Right. But it happens 110%. And they actually get kind of how would I say like snakier about it, a little more weaselly about it because judo is supposed to be this respectful thing. So you'll be at weigh-ins, you know, and this guy from another country will look at you and kind of give you a bad look, right? You know, facial recognition. Yeah, of course, like, right. I didn't like that look. I don't know why I'm just standing here with my passport trying to weigh in. And then he'll turn to his coach or his teammate and they'll sit, they'll mutter something in, um, in, in whatever language, language. Yeah. Uzbeki, yeah, German, Egyptian, whatever. They'll uh they'll mutter something and then they'll both look and they'll kind of chuckle and laugh and you're like oh, okay these guys are just right out there they they know it and I know it and then you kind of wonder is this are they just dicks or are they trying to get in my head or is right the whole, right the whole head game and to speak to to uh, just a direct quote from you know 2016 Olympic silver medalist Travis Stevens you said you know if you're not cheating you're not trying hard enough I again I don't advocate for cheating I always fought in my opinion a really clean game. And I, I truly believe I held myself back for doing that. But his quote when I was with him is, it's only cheating if you get caught. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I remember watching a video Travis put out about a year or two ago uh, mm-hmm. showing a grip on how he cheated for four years. Yeah. How he, and, how he yeah. hit a certain grip that, that nobody yep. could break, and he, and he, and he cheated. And, and, yeah. And, again, from a, from a – that's a very common Ameri- American point of view. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to argue whether it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that yeah. that's a very common viewpoint. That's, that's how a lot of people compete. You, they, a lot of people walk right up to that line without crossing it. And sometimes people put their toe right over that line and, and bring oh, yeah. it right back, you know, and that's I just, mean, how, just how some people is. just, some people just run across that line and you're like, yeah, yeah especially it, it blows my mind that, you know, in IJF judo, some of the some of the stuff you see when you go to all these grand prix and slams, you know, we're going to, you know, ten to fifteen of these type of tournaments a year. Yeah, and you're bound to see, and some of it's just so blatant, and you're like, how are the refs not calling it? It's so wildly against the rules. And then other times, a guy does like almost nothing, and they're getting Han Sokumake, and you're yeah. you're thinking, how is that even anything? What are these refs doing? And then you got to wonder about corruption and paydays and 
it's a, such a strange thing when, and it's really disheartening. Um, <laughs> the, the, it just feels like there's no justice and maybe that's the, you know, there's a, there's a psychological study. Um, losers are always more likely to believe in conspiracy theories <laughs> than winners, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, maybe it's just me being jaded cause I lost so much. I don't know. But, uh, sometimes it's just too blatantly obvious to ignore, you know, you're just like, no, there has to be some, some skeevy stuff going down. There just has to be. Even at the highest levels you're saying with refs and things like that, because 110%. Because, because I'll tell you this, you're not the first person to tell me that you're just, you're just the first person to say that on the record, but you're not, <laughs> you're actually not the first person to, to suggest that even at the highest levels at the IJF um, in terms yeah. of, corruption and things like that that you're I not, wholeheartedly you're not believe the first it. yeah and you're not you're not the first and other people that have said that are not athletes so yeah you know, <laughs> yeah so yeah. you know so it's not like they're jaded or anything like that because yeah. they got screwed over by a loss or anything like that they i i've i've been told things that i'm like oh wow you, you know yeah like they, they won't go on the record with me but <laughs> oh yeah but, no uh, put that on the record i i I stand by anything I'll say out loud. All right, so that's going to do it for part one of this interview. I know that I let this thing run long, but you know, earlier in the episode, I had to talk about the start of the International Judo Federation World Judo Tour, um, and I need I needed to, to have some commentary on that. But this interview, I can tell you this right now because I had to cut it short uh because i had to go get my son in the middle of the interview from from work and um so we're going to have a second interview scheduled in the near future and that's going to be released i'm hoping within the next uh two weeks two weeks so yeah so i need to have that conversation with ajax cuz i tell you what with based on the notes that i have and some of the talking points that i wanted to cover I'm not even halfway done with this interview. And Ajax, quite frankly, is giving me gold. And I'm going to keep mining for that gold <laughs> until it runs dry. So, so uh, Ajax, I'm sure you'll be listening this far along. I hope so anyway. So I really appreciate it. I look forward to our continued conversation. But for the time being, I'm going to end the episode here. So with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style.